Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Varza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hello, everyone. So we're back after being absent for two weeks. And now this week, we have a big rundown of some of the biggest stories from this summer. So we'll discuss Deliver's latest 275 million round and what it needs for the food delivery space. We have Uber's investments into four European startups. We have an Estonian startup called Skeleton Technologies that has raised 13 million euros. And Halo and Daimler-owned MyTaxi have merged to fend off Uber, so we'll discuss that merger as well. And finally, broadband access will become a legal right under EU telecoms law, so Rob and I will give you the rundown of that. So let's jump right in with Deliver's monster round of funding. So this is a Series E round. I feel like I've literally never discussed a Series E round before. This round is just huge, $275 million for the UK-based company. The funding actually comes at kind of a funny time because it's one of, obviously, it's got a Belgian competitor called Take It Easy that just announced it would close due to an inability to raise funding. So on one hand, you have some companies that can't find funding and some that can just find way too much. Deliveroo has actually raised big rounds of funding before, including a $100 million round in November of 2015. So this round actually brings the company's total funding to $475 million. It's a round that was led by European private equity group Bridgepoint, but also included historical investors, General Catalyst, who is also an investor in some killer companies like Stripe, Airbnb, Snapchat, Warby Parker. They have Yuri Milner's DST Global in this round and California-based Green Oaks Capital. So actually, they have a really good international pool of kind of heavy-duty investors. Yes, massive round, one that you wouldn't expect to be announced in the middle of the summer, but it's good to shake things up a little. Uh, it hasn't been a really slow summer, but it hasn't really been a news heavy. But with Deliveroo's funding news, I kind of shook things up a little bit last week. Uh, so I spoke to uh, one of the founders, Will Shu, who's also the CEO of the company, on the phone when he announced, when they were announcing the funding round. Um, he told me that the money would go to obviously hiring more people, expanding internationally much more rapidly and much more efficiently. But he also told me that part of the capital was earmarked for strategic initiatives. And then one of them is, uh, is called Rubox. Uh, Rubox was announced back in April. For those who don't know, uh, it's sort of a way for Deliveroo to provide restaurants, partners of theirs, with fully equipped offsite kitchens uh, in areas of high demand. So it's basically a way for the restaurants that Deliveroo works with to increase their capacity without having to invest in you know, a modern kitchen or expansion, like physical expansion of their, their restaurants. So it's a really interesting idea, and I'm looking forward to seeing it in more places uh, as they're testing and rolling it out. Deliveroo says it currently employs over 800 people. They plan to grow that number quite rapidly. They work with about 16,000 restaurants in over 84 cities already. And this is a company that was started in 2013. So that's a lot of growth. They've had over 400% growth since raising its Series D round in 2015. And they also claim to have reached profitability, actually, in a number of established markets already. So a really interesting uh, growth path. Um, and it may seem like Deliveroo has raised a ton of funding, 
Um, that's true. It's almost like uh, half a half a billion um, dollars. But at the same time, there are competitors like Delivery Hero that have raised over 1.2 billion euros. Then there are competitors like Takeaway that also had big rounds and Just Eat who went public. And, you know, so it's a, a lot of heavy funded uh, companies in this space. And this is just Europe, right? So um, if you're interested in the whole food tech space, uh, we have a report on European food delivery and other food technology startups uh, that you can purchase on TechEU. I have to say that I, when I read that number, I thought they were actually the food delivery company that raised the most. I completely forgot about Delivery Hero that had raised $1.2 billion, which is just insane as well. Yes. And on a side note, uh, Delivery Hero CEO said last week that they might pursue an IPO next year. So interesting space to watch. Definitely. So now Uber, yes, Uber, the car kind of taxi-like service, has announced investments into four European companies, including startups from the UK, France, Netherlands, and Poland. Uber recently organized an event called Uber Pitch, enabling entrepreneurs from 21 different countries to pitch their projects to some of the region's top investors. The top four companies pitched investors not in an elevator, but in an Uber ride. So following the pitch, I guess the four top startups, the finalists, were invited to Berlin to meet with Uber CEO Travis Kalanick. And now it turns out Uber has actually invested an undisclosed amount into all four companies. Naturally, I heard a lot about the French startup Brigade, who's actually founded by a former colleague of mine from Microsoft. They're developing an on-demand staffing marketplace for restaurants. So while one could argue that maybe the French startup Brigade's model may have a link to Uber's business, it's really hard to argue that for the rest of the finalists that they've invested in. For example, UK-based Memrica develops an app for people with memory problems to help them keep track of what's most important to them. We also have Netherlands-based Otley, which teaches children about the value of money and saving. They provide a virtual piggy bank solution. And finally, the last startup just kind of blows my mind. It's Poland-based Hippermine. They use insect mining as an innovative and sustainable solution to global nutrition issues. So it's kind of hard to see how all of that ties into Uber. Kalanick actually posted an announcement of the different investments on Facebook. And I'm wondering actually if it was planned for Uber to invest from the start and like, is this actually somehow strategic for their business? Robin, do you have any idea? Uh, well, I do have some idea. I mean, to your second question, is it somehow strategic for Uber's business? I think the answer is absolutely not. What I think just happened is because the Uber pitch um, initiative was kind of a way to get some publicity and attention. It was sort of a nice initiative. It was, it was sort of in line with what Uber's been doing with delivering ice cream to customers and, and all that. So, so it's kind of a different idea. The four finalists met up with Travis Kalanick in, in Berlin. And I think he just decided on the spot, like these are really interesting companies, let's invest in them. And um, from what I understand from his post and both from, from him and um, Uber's uh, boss in Europe, Pierre Dimitri Gorkoti, uh, he also did a post on this and both of them said it was completely unplanned. But I also heard, and then this is probably not a surprise, but I also heard that the amounts that they invested are very, very small. It's like pocket change. And this is pocket change for early stage startups. So you can wonder if this, this is going, going to do anything for the businesses in question. I highly doubt it. Um, it's cool to have a name like Uber as an investor. It's cool to have someone like Travis Kalanicki say that they were impressed by your business. But I don't think it will move the needle much. I mean, the investment itself. But I feel like it's more um, about the publicity. On the other hand, Uber has, you know, for all the money that they've raised, they haven't really made a lot of investments in other companies. They're also not super acquisitive, you know, considering the war chest that they have. 
so it's really nice to see Uber investing in four European companies. That's that's for sure. But I don't think it will move the needle for any of them. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think it's a very strong statement in terms of publicity. But aside from that, it's hard to see what it's really going to bring. But now we have an Estonian startup called Skeleton Technologies that has raised 13 million euros for its energy storage solutions. And Elon Musk has called the company or kind of the technology that they're using key to the future of electronic cars. So the company makes super capacitators, which are lightweight electronic components that efficiently store and distribute high volumes of power. Today, this technology is primarily used by trains and buses. And companies like Skeleton Technologies want to bring this technology to a wider range of vehicles. So the funding comes from a Malaysian fund called First Floor Capital, uh, looks like this company is going to be expanding into Asia, and primarily they're looking for emerging Asian markets. It's a C round for Skeleton Technologies. They've raised just over 30 million euros to date. Super interesting company for multiple reasons. I think obviously the technology, Elon Musk, uh, those are clear factors, but also the company is run by a 28-year-old CEO. Yes, obviously Elon Musk having said like literally that ultra-capacitators might be the future of energy storage rather than batteries. That on, in, on itself makes this an interesting company. Now, you can argue that anything that's electric, whether it be vehicles like trains, buses, um, you know, all of that, it's only going to boom um, in the future. So having a solution or at least an innovative technology around energy storage is going to get you some attention at the very least. Um, this company's raised almost 30 million euros to date. That means that they've done more than just get attention. I mean, there's a company that's building really interesting technology. They're one, one of the first companies, or maybe even the first, that uses graphene um, as a material that underlies you know, their, their energy storage solution. Uh, now, for those people who don't know, graphene is kind of a very interesting material, um, if you want to call it that. It has a couple of extraordinary properties. It's about 100 times stronger than the strongest steel you can imagine. It conducts heat and electricity efficiently. It's nearly transparent, so it, it can be used for lots of things. But the fact that they're using it for energy storage solutions really tickles my attention a little bit. The fact that they raise funding is one thing, but the fact that they're building, you know, something that everyone needs, <laughs> better energy storage solutions, but with a material that's also been promised to be the material of the future, you know, it's a really intriguing uh, message so that they're sending. So, so we're going to keep watching this company very, very clearly. Yeah, a company to look out for. So now some interesting news regarding Uber competition. We have Halo and Daimler own MyTaxi that have merged in what's being called an all-share deal to fend off Uber. I, I love that. So first I'll start off and say that I was actually convinced that Halo was kind of dead. This is really good news, I guess, especially as Halo is backed by some very solid investors, including Excel Partners, Union Square Ventures, Atomico, Wellington Partners, and Sir Richard Branson. The UK-based Uber competitor is actually far from dead. Apparently it's it's really rivaling Uber in places like Barcelona, Dublin, and obviously London. Halo has now teamed up with MyTaxi, which is owned by Germany's Daimler. They also own Mercedes-Benz. And these guys are teaming up to rival Uber, but there's actually tough competition in this space in terms of other companies. Israel's Get, for example, received an investment from Volkswagen, uh, about $300 million. We also have covered Spain's Cabify on the podcast when they closed uh, $120 million euro round with Rakuten and some other investors. So it should be noted also that Daimler has participated in a recent investment into Blacklane, which is a Berlin-based Uber competitor as well. I guess they're really in interested in this space. 
Yeah, so many things happening in this space. And finally, the big car makers are getting very involved, not just with investments, but also with deals like this to bring their, you know, some of their investments together with others and merge uh, to build stronger competitors to Uber, essentially. Well, you can argue that Halo wasn't dead yet, but uh, I don't think they were heading in the right direction, to be fair. I mean, you can say that they were rivaling Uber in a couple of markets, including London and, and Dublin. For example, but then that's only like a very tiny fraction of uh, all the cities that Uber's currently in. So, so you can argue that, that the Halo actually kind of missed the boat. Uh, a few years ago, they tried to launch in the U.S. and it didn't really work out, although they invested quite heavily. So yeah, the, the, they weren't dead, but they were definitely not, not heading in the right direction. Let's say that. But Daimler, I think, is a very interesting player. They're not just looking at the space from a distance and making bold predictions. They're also making real investments and merger deals like this one. So um, they're from, far from the only ones. You mentioned Volkswagen uh, having invested in Get. But it also emerged, uh, I think, over the weekend or, or yesterday that uh, in the US, uh, one of Uber's rival, Lyft, actually rebuffed an acquisition offer from General Motors and GM. So, so lots of stuff in, happening in this space. And I'm, I'm very happy to also see some movement um, in Europe. Yeah, a really kind of hot space to be in. And it looks like there's finally a bit of consolidation as well. I felt like we just had Uber competitors popping up left, right and center for a while. And now we're starting to see some of them weed themselves out and come together and work together. And our final topic this week, broadband internet access will become a legal right under new EU telecoms law. So woohoo. However, that means that the EU is going to force national governments in Europe to pay for guaranteed internet access. So the European Commission expects governments to pay for these services and not private telecoms companies. Other services that are currently guaranteed, like access to public payphones, will be taken out of the existing rules. So thank God for that. And there's also an EU-wide internet speed target of 100 megabits per second. That's the target for 2025, and around $155 billion is needed to hit this speed goal, apparently. According to European Commission figures, approximately 97% of households already have broadband internet access. However, there's less coverage, obviously, in rural areas and internet speeds vary greatly. I can tell you I have definitely witnessed that this summer. And a few European countries like Finland and Spain have universal service measures that require companies to provide cheap broadband service. Um, in the UK as well, former Prime Minister David Cameron proposed a similar measure last autumn. So yeah, this is obviously welcome news for consumers. Um, it's a long-term play. You know, 2025 is a while away. It's $155 billion, so it's not going to happen overnight. Um, the target, the speed target, 100 megabits per second might seem impressive, but who knows if it's still going to be impressive in 10 years, right? So, so we'll see. But it's welcome news. Uh, it's also welcome news for the private sector, which now doesn't have to make all of the investments in, in you know, improving their infrastructure on their own. So the EU is apparently going to force national governments to at least cover part of the bill. You know, not all EU member states welcome the news because some of them have other things on their minds and that they worry about. You know, they already deal with huge deficits. Some countries, you know, they're, they're paying off like huge austerity measures. They're in many ways still recovering from the last economic downturn. So, you know, the EU having tell them you have to invest billions of dollars into Internet infrastructure, you know, for some member states seems a little bit of a an attack rather than something supportive. Um, but on the other hand, you want your people to be connected and not just people in cities, but also in rural areas uh, where the internet speeds, you know, tend to be, if the, if the internet's available in the first place, they're not super fast um, the way that we know it. So, so you don't want to create a gap between 
those people and those the companies in those regions with the rest of Europe. So, so you have to make an effort that's pan-European. And I think this is a good way to start. Okay, so that was it for this week. Um, sorry for our absence the last two weeks. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Roxanne Barza and at Robin Waters. If you, of course, you can also follow TechU. We're tech underscore EU on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. We're on iTunes and SoundCloud. So yeah, thanks for tuning in and hope uh, you listen again next week. Thank you. Bye, Roxanne. Thanks, Robin. Bye.